This is Blaine Scully. Welcome to the Captain's Code. Each week, we talk with the leaders of high-performance teams about the role they play in making a culture of excellence possible. Tara Muller is a longtime leader in the outdoor and fitness industry, where she has spent the majority of her career working with consumer brands. During her tenures with Camelback Specialized Bicycles and Faraday Bicycles, Tara rapidly created results that included doubling revenues, securing spots on the Ellen Show, creating multi-million dollar grant programs for underserved youth, and providing emergency hydration packs for first responders of the North Bay wildfires. She was most recently president of Camelback, where she launched the company's first direct-to-consumer platform, where she grew the business by 15%. Tara serves on the board of Digital Sports Coaching and Smart Apparel Company Asensei, as well as on the advisory board of the Harvest Summit. Tara was a two-time captain of the women's rowing team at the University of Kansas, and also coached rowing at Stanford University. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You have a fascinating experience and you've done so much already in the sport industry. I'm wondering if you could kind of share a little bit about your journey and where you are, where you came from and how you got to where you are today. How far would you like me to go back? As long or far as you want to go. We're here for as long as you want to be. <laughs> uh, well, I um, present to pass, I guess. I just recently finished up um, as a president of Camelback. Um, going through a really um, tumultuous time to, to lead. I went through, um, I, was a, I sat as the senior director of marketing there and got moved up to the, be the interim uh, president role that was supposed to last for two months, and that was great. It was almost about a year, and, and during that time, uh, we, we went through the um, North, Northern California fires, which three of our team members were impacted by that, and, uh, and then a boycott because um, our ownership, Camelback's ownership, is Vista Outdoors, which owns a significant amount of brands in the firearms and ammunition um, space. So, of course, of, of a core Camelback user, that, that became um, pretty important uh, during the Parkland shooting. So, um, an easily segue into saying that being an athlete and having the foundation of, of knowing a team and knowing how to rally around a single idea, it was profoundly important that I had that background when I was leading in this really, really interesting space. To touch back on your athletic experience, so at Kansas, you you were a rowing athlete and then you were a captain the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Could you kind of share a little bit about that experience, you know, yeah. that formation of, you know, that foundation that you were able to, able to access later in life? Yeah, I mean... In, in high school, I was a four-sport four athlete, all letters, all this good stuff. So I what thought were you? Uh, track, basketball, volleyball, and um, and softball. I'm trying to figure out the last Midwest sport. <laughs> we didn't have soccer. We didn't have swim. We didn't have tennis. Um, and then I thought, and I got had gotten a bunch of um, opportunities to um, be recruited at D one, D two, and D three schools. And my dad said, ah. You want to be a big fish in a little f- pond or a little fish in a big pond? And I'm like, I'm not sure what the right answer is here. Um, so I said, oh, okay, it's the small fish in the big pond. So I went, ended up going to Kansas and thought, thinking I was going to uh, walk onto the volleyball team. And they looked at my 5'7 stature, said, not today, shorty. And I was already dressed. And so um, I had heard rowing um, had just gotten um, a Title IX nod. And so it was a second year of varsity. And I knew there were five full scholarships for the 72 women. And at that point, 
being a farmer's daughter, um, had to kind of hustle for the right opportunity for me and went over there and, and truly asked the coach what the numbers need to say for me to be considered for that scholarship. And he told me and, and I did it. And then the last two years, um, I was rewarded, awarded, uh, Captain and captain's really interesting when when you have a team of seventy two females, of of um, inspiring, motivating. I'm very much a leader by example and not necessarily a hoorah out there giving some some motivational speeches. Um, but it is it was voted in. It was surprising because I was a junior um, asked to come and 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 be a. Uh, captain, and then again got voted as captain the second year. And what were your responsibilities as captain of this 72-person team? Yeah. And then, obviously, so you kind of have all the, I guess, out-of-the-boat stuff where you're just kind of building the culture as a team, whether in workouts or training, and then actually when it comes to competition and race day, you know, how that transition works for you and, and, and that kind of experience? It's interesting. So as you look at the people on the boat, I sat seven, and seven is a really um, formidable spot because you understand and you know very much what ex- is expected of you from the stroke and from the coxswain as, as for the coach. But you definitely know and you carry the weight of the team, both both literally and and um, philosophically of the of the women behind you and so you you are that moment of understanding what is expected and needed and and knowing what the the athletes behind you really really need and and that kind of has carried me through through life in general I really never knew what the seventh seat was before um, my coach basically pulled me aside and said, here's what we need from you specifically as a leader. And so what I was able to do really is recruit some amazing women. Um, we were all walk-on the first two years, and we were able to recruit some really amazing um, athletes, both um, personality-wise and and um, pulled some good numbers. Um, but also being able to take the concerns of the team if, if they were feeling too overtired or overworked, I could take that back to the coach and we could kind of figure out what made sense for, for the right training at the right time. Yeah, my experience as a, as a team leader is almost when you find yourself in that position, you're almost like a two-way connection, right? You're the connection between the, the coaching staff and the team, but also the team, the coaching staff. So being able to have that form for honest communication both ways is, is hugely important to your ability to be an effective yeah. member of that group. And it, it's interesting too, as you relate that you know, those experiences to leading a brand and leading a company and leading organizations um, is you, you, you learn really quickly what to take on and absorb as an athlete or as a human being. And then you know what you need to filter and send on to be, to have that transparent, transparent leadership style, if you will, if that makes sense to you, right? So, you know, you sort of know what you need to absorb and you know what you need to legitimately pass on and not protect. So it's it's kind of an, it's it's really an, it was an interesting um, moment for me as I never really led before being a team captain, and and they always say you know leaders aren't born they're made, and I I believe that. But in the same aspect, you do have um, an aptitude of of becoming a good leader if if the opportunity there exists and is presented to you. How did you transition from, so when you were a, a, a rowing captain to someone who led by example, but then all of a sudden you're in charge of teams, you know, in a way, like when you're, when you're an athlete, you can just 
demonstrate your leadership just by going out and trying your trying your guts out, right? But when you're a leader of a team, like communicating the vision, communicating what our values are, and then building that internal team, but then also connecting that to the outside world, I imagine is is a pretty comprehensive challenge and transition individually. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. You have to, uh, and it's something I learned really in the first six years of my career. I spent at Specialized Bicycles. And, um, and I was, when I couldn't communicate what I needed out of the team by showing, I would just do it and keep working it, keep working it. And I was killing myself, right? Because I didn't have the skills or I hadn't quite understood what it took to communicate what I need and then move aside and let those people that are far better equipped to do those activities, if you will, right? Um, so for example, I, I would just almost micromanage the heck out of things and, and because I thought, I need the outcome to look like this, and there's only one way to that, get to the outcome, right? And it's just work hard or these steps or whatever that might be. And until I said, you know what, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get the team here if I don't back up and say, hey, here's our vision, here's where we need to get, and then step away and realize this, these 14 people or whatever that team might look like will get to that vision if it's articulately explained to them, but they're not gonna get it get there in in the exact specific journey that you thought so that I I would have to say the biggest learning from being an athlete of having your coach say here's what we need you to get to and ultimately here's how I need you to get to it Um, and then when you transition from an athlete to sort of the boardroom if you will you're not going to have somebody to tell you exactly how to get to those things and as a leader you need to be able to define what that final point is and then and then ask for help. Hey, now, now guys, I need help to get here. What, so you can get a little bit of buy-in and you can get a little bit of, um, consensus with the group. And, and how do you, how do you develop that? Was that surely through yeah. experience? Was that, you know, cause it's, it's a tough thing, right? When you're an athlete, feedback is readily available from yeah. coaches, teammates, public competition, yeah. you know, like, so that feedback's always happening when you, when you're not necessarily seeing that sort of feedback instantaneously and you know managing teams and all that stuff how does that process work for you so hard isn't it it's such it's the hardest part about being an athlete with constant pragmatic feedback not oh i like you but blah blah you know these things whereas the numbers said this and we can't lie and i want the numbers to be better so here's what you need to do to get to those numbers where when you go into the business world it's a lot of soft skills that you just don't have concrete concrete feedback but I think I failed a lot more in the beginning than I was prepared. Uh, so, so for example, and I'll, and I will bring a, a kid story into this, but, um, at Specialized, I, I traveled seven months, seven straight months in a row. And, uh, and I thought, gosh, this, this is just the way. This is just the way. You just have to work harder to get what you need and you have to put in more time and, and you, you just have to get down to the grind. Um, and then I found out I was pregnant and knew I had to leave for maternity leave. And I thought, this place is going to sink without me. I, I can't imagine anyone is going to be able to continue this pull with me there. And so I said, hey, listen, I'll be back in 10 weeks. Here's what we need. Here's, you know, here's the trains on, on certain tracks. And here's what we need to see happen in the next 10 weeks for, um, to get what we need to get out of, out of this year's, um, financials. And I came back and, oh my gosh, they surpassed my expectations. And that was the moment that I said, gosh, delegation is a skill that we don't typically learn as athletes. 
uh, we don't get to say, hey, you know what? There's like 50 reps, you know, can you do like, nah, say 30 and I'll take a 20. You just don't learn delegate. You learn, get in there. You got to do the work and the work will pay off. Um, but when you do transition, you realize you can't, you can't just be responsible for yourself and doing the work. You have to be able to delegate during and then move, move out of the way and let the people, let the people get to work. So, so it sounds like, so the transition was, you know, as far as like, because this is what I've always found as a younger athlete as well. And I've said this a couple of times before is like when you're, when you're younger and more immature athlete, you, you have to focus on your own individual performance and like what you bring. But then as you grow and evolve and become more comfortable and is like what you can offer, you learn to put yourself in the context of the team. You know what I mean? And then, and then the next progression I imagine too is, okay, this is where I am individually. And then this is where I fit in the context of the team. And then this is where we all kind of need to go together and us to realize that, that vision that we want to say. So when you're in charge of, you know, marketing teams and you become president of Camelback, and, and dealing with all the adversity. How do you maintain that perspective of actually measuring your own individual performance, your immediate team, and then also you know, the, the direction you're going in, which I imagine you can relate back to your crew experiences. Like, how do you get everyone rowing in the same direction all the time, you know? Yeah, and that's the unique part about rowing, right? No single athlete crosses a finish line. And definitely no single athlete has stats, if you will. So you, you have got to be in unison and perfection the entire time. Or it doesn't really prepare you to say, all right, who's going to stand up and, and, and move this brand forward, especially during such um, a complicated leadership time. Um, I, I literally, I, I've had some amazing time to reflect and, and some, and that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast, if you will, about the, the, the reflection of, of leading during complicated times. Um, but just taking a, a quick glance is, is I knew what my boss was, was at Vista Outdoors. I knew what they needed our brand to do. Um, I knew what I, how I needed to translate that so that the team could get behind the idea that we are of the people, for the people, for the brand. And so there's this like rough moment in the between of, of taking out sort of transactional needs for the business and, and putting it to an emotional and a spiritual way. So you could get con consensus and people could understand, yeah, understand like, oh, we're in it for the, for the love of it. Right. Instead of for the, for the transactional element of it. And I think as, as an athlete, you do, and especially being in the outdoors sector, right? So it's, it's easy because most of the people were, have been athletes or at least can, have empathy. Yeah. can understand what it means to say, Hey, we we're on a journey. It's going to be a complicated journey, but it's, it's because we have this amazing moment in time to look forward to because we're, we are camelback and we, we are the outdoors. Can you share a little bit about, I know you kind of touched on it, but like managing that crisis and now you've had an opportunity to reflect both, you know, kind of at a, maybe at a higher level individually and then also how you think about teams and, and dealing with different people and then, and at the end of the day managing the best you can with what you got in the environment that you're in. Because you didn't choose the situation. You just you assumed yes, responsibility, right? right? Yeah. You know? and, and, it, and, I, and I'd say yes a million times over. Um, would I do a little thing, few things different? For sure, I think we all would when we look back. Um, but I, um, a little bit like Alexander Hamilton, I wasn't going to give away my shot. Uh, but when they said, hey, listen, we need you to lead this brand for a couple of months, 
um, I didn't have anything to lose. I'm like, sure, yeah, yeah, give me a shot and I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give it everything I have. Um, but then you don't really look in the crystal ball to say, hey, listen, it's just not my swim lane of, hey, here's what our plan was and let's execute to plan. It's here's what our plan was and now all these other things sort of came in that were out of our control. So, so what do we do with those things? Uh, so I am an insanely transparent leader to a fault. And I think I'd, I'd probably turn back the clock a little bit because there's some things that the reason I am a leader is I can take on a lot of information and be able to pragmatically and compartmentalize some things. Right. And when, and there's a lot of people that just aren't, they don't have the aptitude. Right. And that's not their job and that's not their role. And so I think I would, I would probably, um, um, help with the context as we, sh as we share transparency on, on that side. I think I would have made decisions that were right for the brand more than right for the, for, um, our parent brand, which would have landed me in the same situation I am now. Um, but when we had gotten the call for the boycott, just a little side story, um, uh, on how I lead and how my thought process is, is, um, I was sitting watching TV on a Sunday night and I, and it was right after the Parkland shooting. And if, if that hasn't changed, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people's lives, I don't know what could. Um, but I knew it happened to a high school. So this is different than, a, you know, a, a, a shooting that Vista would say halt all communications about X, Y, Z. Uh, and I knew the guy and he's in San Francisco and he just said through Twitter, he said, hey, listen, did you guys know Camelback was owned by Vista and Vista has tons of tentacles and firearms and ammunition. So I called um, our VP of communication at Vista. I said, hey guys, this is what's happening. I'm going to call him. I know him through a couple of people. I'm just going to call him. I'm going to invite him up to Camelback. Let's have a conversation. I really think we could figure out how we could use Camelback's partnership with Vista as leverage on, on making some really positive change here. And the conversation I got is stand down, do not make contact, do not have, do not call them, do not anything. So I, I went back and I never felt good about the decision that I had made to not call. And I feel like we, we would have been in a definitely a different situation. So I do think leading a little bit by instinct and athletes do have the instinct of where the ball is at and where the play needs to be run and, and, and sort of the timing of, of your stroke and those types of things. We have a, a certain feel and an instinct about what, what may or may not be the right path. And I, and that's one massive regret I have. I should have just made the call and dealt with the consequences on, um, in the, as, as I saw fit, but. But I mean, as an athlete as well, right? It's like you learn through failure, right? Yeah. Like each oh, yeah. experience is, is a teacher. And then hopefully, you know, we have the opportunity next week to demonstrate the learning from the previous game or race or whatever it was, and then transfer that into hopefully growth the higher you climb in your career and and whether it be athletic career or, or professional career the stakes for failure is higher so so this whole nation notion of failing fast is is scary and 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 a little bit dis destructive and so i do feel yes failure is um needed everyone does it but you just don't get the forgiveness when you're at a level that if it affects people's careers, it'll affect our bottom line, it affects their stakeholders, our shareholders, all the other folks. So it does um, put a lot more pressure on your shoulders to make 
the right decision with as much information you have and and that's and then make the decision right i think that's where leaders kind of a little bit analysis paralysis um, moments but to be a great leader downward you need to let the you need to let the leaders fail but not become failures right so that's great that we get that opportunity as true leaders in our organization or in our um, in our networks right as we mentor people and as coaching becomes more um, uh, more sought out in, in terms of executive coaching but as the leader and when you don't really report to anyone except maybe a board, they're not they're not going to say, you know, we want you to fail and not become a failure. There's just those those skills just aren't they're not they don't exist anymore, right? You you were hired to make the right decision at the right time, and be accountable for for those actions. And it's, upwards how do you, and downwards, right? How, how do you how do you balance that, right? So the, the upward management and and although you have ultimate accountability, there's like some challenges even with your responsibility, like you said, right? Where like you're ultimately responsible and accountable, but at the same time there are constraints, all that stuff. So you have to balance, you know, manage upward and then decisions based on like what that might do to compromise relationships one way or the other, because you know, effectively you have to do what you feel is right, which, you know, is, is one identifying then and being able to be, this is who I am. This is what I believe at the same time, manage all these various different elements. I imagine it's like one of the greatest challenges of, of leading a, a, a massive organization that um, you're responsible for. Mm. Well, it's just like you going out to the pitch, right? Your coach has a plan. They have laid out that plan to you crystal clear and you believe in that plan, right? And you're going to try as hard as you can to execute to that plan because he's already gained consensus from you and, and, and belief in you and you believe you are believing in this coach, right? But the best laid plans sometimes are just not working out, right? So, when you when you guys lose, when anybody loses or fails or how, whatever you want to um, depict it, you don't say like, "Coach, you came with a bad plan," right? You have a plan. You believe in the plan. You've thought about the plan. You ruminate on the plan. You sleep on it. You wake up. You, you obsess about this plan. And when it doesn't lay out, it's because oh, here are the moments in that plan that that didn't work out. Whereas if you go in and are haphazardly make a plan and not think about all the elements that might come up as much as possible, uh, they can't figure out where, where you failed and where you can improve the next time. And I do think um, you know, reporting into a board or reporting into a founder or however that might, might work out, they respect a plan, right? They, you know, I can come up easily and say, hey, listen, our goal, we've identified the problem. The problem is we need to get to X amount of revenue this year or, or whatever the, the problem might be. And then, then we go and develop a couple of plans, right? And we flush out the plans with the leadership team. And then we kind of settle on the best plan that we all believe in. And once, that is, once that's laid out and it does fail, we can say, hey, this was great. The plan was wrong. The plan was wrong. Or another outside source came in and it wasn't, we were thrown off our plan. But but the reason I say that is because we're, we're forgiven as leaders when we fail if we have the plan. And people understood the plan. The voila does not work, right? Of saying, I, I'm going to do all the work and then voila, it's going to be done. It just doesn't work anymore like that because you need the, the people in the room. You need the buy-in in the room and you need people to understand where you're going. How do you identify what what's most important 
like as far as the plan goes, right? Like this, these are the things that this is our plan. This is what we have identified. We're going to judge ourselves on, and this is what we're committed to. Mm-hmm. Like, what what does that analysis process look like for you as a leader? And then, you know, the collaboration that happens with your leadership group, like you say, like how how does that work for for you? Gosh, it depends on whatever that goal might be, right? So if it's a revenue goal, we have to understand what our, I mean, we can get so really, we get really like nerdy. Yeah. Right. So if, if it says, Hey, listen, we have a brand issue, then we go deep in research on what that issue is or what it means, or we have a revenue issue. And, and that, that revenue issues are, I think a little bit easier to sort out because you can negotiate on margin. You can have a due diligence on your supply chain. For me, it, it's a little bit more binary, uh, where when you have a brand issue or an opportunity, it's a little bit more squishy, right? It's a little bit of a triage, but because you're working a lot of these things across departments, right? So you have your operations team and your HR team and your um, finance team and, and all these people have to be bought in into your plan. And I keep going back to that because it does help to socialize it because it does help you to influence upwards and downwards as especially as you go as I was all these folks as peers for a long time. And then when you're interim, not only do, am I assuming I'm going to be their peer again, but for a moment in time, I got to make some real hard decisions that they may, may or may not agree with me on. And, and how do you, how did you balance that? Right? So relationship as a peer and probably personal friendships at that point. Right. And then you transition to leadership. And like, as we've kind of already talked about, it's a it's a very conditional environment, right? It's it's based on what you get done, and you're getting ju- you're all getting judged based on the numbers and all that kind of stuff, and you're ultimately responsible. And like you said, like failure, okay, even not is potentially inevitable in, in any context. Like it could be fatal in some contexts, <laughs> right? So so how how did, how was that transition for you? Well, um, I knew I had to go find um, not necessarily an ally, but I needed to go find in the leadership team somebody who possessed all the skills I did not. So I didn't know much about operations during the whole time. And, and um, my ally in the team was the head of operations. And I knew he was going to tell me the truth. Because as a leader, it is insanely lonely at the top. No one tells you, yeah, you know, no one tells you, no one pokes holes in your ideas. People are just sort of nod their head and might have some feedback for you. But ultimately, they'll they'll go and um, execute what, you, what you've laid out in a lot of cases. And so I knew that in, in a profound way, especially at Camelback, but definitely in, in um, earlier brands. And so I was very careful about the words I would use because it was a very literal cultural culture. It was very cultured to be like that. And so being... Here's this, do that. Here's this, or, or hey, I'm not feeling the this product. What do you guys think about it? And they're instantly thinking in their mind, Tara's going to cut that line. That's, that's not the case. I sort of just talk out loud, you know, like brainstorm out loud. And so I would, I would truly have to start a conversation and say, okay, so I'm just going to throw some things out. I'm going to think about this out loud if you guys will let me. And and how did you build, like maintain sort of, sort of a positive culture in, in the midst of pretty chaotic, situation man i I am i am optimistically naive yeah Yeah. like i can see a silver lining and i love an underdog story i really think it's i i I can't help it i also had the benefit of people knew me within the industry as well so they already knew the sort of not necessarily cheerleader but um the optimistically naive leader that i am of saying hey listen 
this could, if we could, if we get through this, imagine the story we can tell. And I think that's really a cool moment of being able to bring people in to like imagine, imagine this comeback story because people will see us and people will know us and, and, and believe in what we're trying to do and, and come along with us. And, and imagine if we could, you know, I, I said this all the time, imagine if we could take pl- more plastics out of the ocean. Imagine if we could figure out a water bottle that is completely biodegradable. So now you've kind of sit on a couple boards now. Mm-hmm. Um, mom of four. I'm mom of four, yeah. And so how is, how is, is it providing any sort of different perspective on sort of leadership now? Like, obviously, you have your reflection of, like, you know, your past experience and all that stuff. But also now that you're part of some, you know, sensei who uh, um, is one of the companies that sit on the board. Like, is, is, is that process, you know, challenging in a different way? And, and actually, you know, this is a really cool perspective to kind of sit over the top and look at all these things and, you know, kind of jump in where, where you can. And- yeah, sitting on a board is interesting, right? Because I, I had said no to a bunch of board opportunities when I was sitting at, at president role and, and before, just because I just, there was just no more time for me to dedicate. And before I jumped into something else, uh, I wanted to go back and revisit a couple of really interesting moments that I think I could make a difference. And, and ultimately, I find myself saying, oh, like salivating because I know I could get in there and really make some magic in the, in the brand if I could just, you know, focus on this one brand. Um, but what's really interesting about sitting on the board because I presented into a board, you get the, you know, 30,000 foot view each and every time. And um, you don't really think about or you don't have to think about the mundane daily, like what's your social media doing today and, and what does your logo look on your site and oh, is Shopify integrated yet? All these things, but you can you get this really juicy moment to say, hey, what's the past, present, future of, of what this brand could be? And so there's this um, sort of middle chapter of your career that I feel like I'm, I'm entering so I can be really mindful and purposeful on, these, on the next decision I'm making. How would you define leadership? There is a general that says, that talks about um, a good leader is someone who lets you fail, but also doesn't make you become a failure. And that, that's quite interesting, right? So the moment of, of, of letting you get into a situation where you can make those pretty uh, meaningful, those safe fail, failures or fails or missteps, if you will, but also can lift you up and make sure you're on a great path or trajectory of, of teaching and learning. Tara, thank you so much for coming thank on. I really appreciate you. So and thanks for everything. Cheers. Cheers. This week's takeaways are all about creating team buy-in and how to approach failure. As Tara shared, being a strong communicator is vital to the success of any leader. Whether providing that two-way connection between coach and teammates or rallying employees around your company's vision, you must learn how to communicate effectively to create buy-in and shared purpose. You need to go above and beyond the dollars and cents. Translate the transactional needs of the brand into a purpose that employees can emotionally connect with and get behind. A plan can't work without strong communication. When a plan is built and socialized, everyone knows their role, which creates greater opportunity for success as well as the ability to pivot when outside forces are at work. Let your team members have room to fail, but not become failures. Failing is all about learning and using that experience as a teacher. And finally, understand that micromanaging is not a sustainable leadership style. You can't personally work every part of the business. So build the plan, 
communicate the vision, delegate, and then get out of people's way. Bye.